You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Mill, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Lockdown Rooms. Locker Room is changing the way we talk about sports. Well, Miami was riding a four-game winning streak. They had taken two days off, been able to practice for the first time in what felt like a long time, really. They haven't been able to have much time to work on things, incorporate new players. They've obviously made some changes to their roster. So you think they're going to host the Memphis Grizzlies, missing a couple of key players, and that it might theoretically be a very good game for Miami. Well, that wasn't the case. They just looked very disoriented, uh, not quite polished defensively in particular. Offensively, they had some stretches there where it was a little mind-boggling. There were some players there that made some key mistakes at key times. There were positives, though. I want to get into those first before I answer your listener questions about what went wrong and then get into some of the most concerning factors for Memphis on defense, at least for Miami. It was unfortunately a 124 to 112 victory for the Grizzlies over the Heat, ending that four game win streak. And as far as those positives are concerned, look, Jimmy Butler had 28 points. There were some key moments there when Miami's lead, well, sorry, when Miami was down by double digits, and then Jimmy seems to be capable of getting to the rim. And then he inexplicably dishes it out to a wide open shooter or makes a bad pass. He actually forced a turnover once because he was trying to kick the ball out to somebody else. But invariably, he did wind up getting hot and aggressive and looking to take uh, advantage of those opportunities when they came. He did finish with 28 points. Overall, very good night from him. 11-15, to 15, also chipped in. Three rebounds, five assists. So a positive night from him. Defensively, there were some moments there where he was giving up easier baskets. I don't think he was necessarily competing at 100%. I guess there were some issues there defensively that he either thought scheme would repair or a personnel switch might take in there or, or something because it just it, I saw him get burned on the point of attack from the perimeter on a couple of occasions. But overall, still a really solid night from him. Babbitt Abayo finished with a triple-double, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Had the mid-range game going. Uh, he looked like he was going aggressive. He seemed like he had that shot dialed up. Look polished, making nice plays, great overall impact from him. And Victor Oladipo had arguably his best game for the Miami Heat, finished with 16 points. Again, also hit a couple nice shots. The mid-range game was going. He had one three-pointer, also chipped in six rebounds, a couple of assists. Solid, looked like he was within the flow more often than not. And, uh, you know, a good overall game for him. Duncan Robinson also continued his hot streak, shooting four of seven, I want to say. Yeah, four of seven from three-point range, five of eight overall from the field for 14 points. So another great night for him. I think the broadcast team said that he tied his personal record of seven straight games with four made three-pointers. So good night for Duncan. And overall, the Heat shot very well. 54% from the field, 39.4% from three-point range, 34 assists on 44 made field goals. So you look at it from an offense perspective, and you say, ah, oh, this is a pretty good game. I got 112 points for this team. Really solid night. They were moving the ball well. They were shooting the ball well. Tyler Hero had a great night off the bench, 19 points. And you're thinking to yourself, well, this is a recipe for an easy win. Conversely, they were just a shit show on defense, and that was where the real problem lies. They were blown out early on, 
by Jonas Valanciunas, of all things. Longtime Heat personal rival. Not random scrub Heat killer. He doesn't fit that bill. But he does seem to have a, a <laughs> irrational hatred of the Miami Heat dating back to those great matchups with Hassan Whiteside that Valanciunas would uh, inexplicably also dominate. He had a huge first quarter. Finished with 15 points, I want to say, in the first quarter. 20 points overall, 7 of 9, and just getting really open looks at the rim. Something I'll talk about a little bit later in this segment because there was one thing that ties it all together, but Valanciunas was really the starting impact for Memphis, just kind of exploiting everything that Miami was doing defensively and set the tone early on. It was just something that Miami couldn't seem to find a way to recover from as smaller players were switched on to Valanciunas and then he had these easy looks and he would either get a foul call because he would flop and draw contact or he would actually get an easier look at the rim. So lots of bad things happening there early on because of Valanciunas and then later on in the game, Dylan Brooks, uh, personal motivation from him, still has apparently a grudge perhaps with Andre Iguodala and how he was disrespecting the team because he didn't report to camp last year and didn't want to be part of the Memphis Grizzlies organization after it was clear that they were rebuilding and that they just wound up exceeding expectations, including their own, but whatever. So Brooks kind of punchably going out there and just taking really crazy shots, like unbelievable shots that I don't think he's normally capable of hitting, certainly not consistently, but he just looked, again, personally motivated. 10 of 16 for the floor, 5 of 9 from three-point range, getting really easy looks. And if not, if they were even contested or challenged by guys like Bam, Tyler Hero, Duncan, Jimmy, everybody seemed like they had a, a piece, even Victor Oladipo, and somehow Brooks still able to knock these down for 28 points. Just unbelievable game from him. Uh, again, 23 points in the third quarter, absolutely blowing out Miami and helping extend what was, I think, a nine-point lead to an even greater one. And then the rest of the supporting cast, John Morant, the rookie of the year, who is arguably their best player. I don't think it's actually arguable. He is their best player. Only 10 points. Not aggressive at all. The The defense was keyed in just a way to try and limit what Morant could do. It backfired with everything else, though, because they wound up getting key contributions from everybody else. Kyle Anderson in the starting lineup had 19 points. Xavier Tillman with 11 points off the bench, and Desmond Bain, a rookie that I thought would have been a perfect fit in Miami, 6 of 12 from the field, 15 points from him, and just they had a monstrous night. As good as Miami shot from the field, Memphis just a bit better, 55% from the field, 42% from three-point range, 75% from the line, 15 of 20, whereas Miami was 11 of 18, so even though they got slightly less field free throw attempts, excuse me, they weren't able to capitalize those. Uh, 0 for 3 from Bam Adebayo, really strange, 3 for five from Victor Oladipo, one of two from Tyler Hero, so everybody was missing. Even Jimmy missed a free throw, so not a bad shooting night from him, but the thing that was the recurring theme from all this, the switchable defense on Miami, just really fantastic job from Ron Rothstein at halftime, I thought, pointing it out, something that was pretty apparent how Valanciunas was able to get these easy looks, but how it kind of slid over into why Kyle Anderson was getting wide open shots from the three. They just weren't they weren't trapping the ball handlers effectively enough, but they were also creating these mismatches there because they would wind up sending either a one or one and a half players at the ball handler, and that was just enough time for a screen setter to kind of slip the screen and then dive into the paint, creating a mismatch, or it would have to take somebody to revolve over from the corner, and then they would be swinging the ball around, and of course then you have to get that 
player out of the paint to try and close out on a wide open shooter from the, the corners where they were, I think, I, I want to say an ungodly 8 of 10. At last I checked, I think that was the statistic. 8 of 10, 8 of 11 from the corners. 8 of 11. I mean, that's 70% shooting from the corners. That's, that's. I mean, I know it's the, the short corner. I know it's the best shot in basketball, etc. 8 of 11 isn't going to win you a whole hell of a lot of games. And Miami needs to absolutely correct that. So these switches, Bam Adebayo was picking up the ball handler. Oftentimes, John Morant, especially when the starting units were out there, and it was effective. Again, harassing Morant, not letting him get easy looks, wasn't able to use his speed and athleticism to get into the paint. But conversely, then you had Victor Oladipo or uh, Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic or somebody else, a smaller ball handler, trying to keep Jonas Valanciunas out of the paint. And that's not like Valanciunas is the biggest, most powerful guy, but he's certainly a physical mismatch for guys like Oladipo, Robinson, and others. And that's how he got those early points early on. When it was not Valanciunas who was doing most of the damage, that screen setting, that I'm sorry, that switching defense was still a problem because then you wound up getting easy looks for Kyle Anderson or Dylan Brooks if they make that one extra pass. Look, Memphis hit a lot of tough shots, but Miami gave up a lot of good looks for them, and that was part of the problem. Unfortunately, Eric Spolstra, also part of the problem. In his post-game press conference, he says, look, we're not going to panic and reinvent the wheel. We were trending in the right direction before tonight. And I'm paraphrasing that last part there, but basically didn't really seem to think that the scheme was the problem there and that I think this is something I'll talk about when I answer your questions in the next segment. But Spo, perhaps a little stubborn, something I've talked about pretty frequently here, went with his preferred scheme, the, the kind of things that he wants to do comfortably, and his expectations is always whoever's out there, next man up. It's kind of archaic, kind of difficult to quantify. It works. It has worked for him, obviously, for 12 years and uh, 13 years now. 14 years? Oh, how many seasons has Eric Spolster coached? Goddamn. It feels like 2008 was just a, a, you know, a, a short day ago. It was actually quite a long time ago. I'm getting older and so are you. But anyway, here we are still doing the same things, at least with this team. And it didn't work tonight. I, I don't know if it was just a bad matchup with Memphis. I don't know if it was just they had the right personnel. I don't know if Miami did anything particularly bad. Have to go and rewatch it right after this game and coming off, again, a four-game win streak when you expect them to challenge the Grizzlies a little bit more effectively. They fell flat. And for Eric Spolster to say, well, we're not going to panic I don't know if a lot of Heat fans and people listening to the show might agree with them. I, I'm not, I don't think a panic is necessarily the case here. I don't think that's the right response. But there was some things he could have done differently. And I think, for one, not asking his players to switch that much. Because you're not going to give up those points of balance units. You hope you can force a turnover there. There were a number of turnovers. Miami was able to do a great job of challenging the team. They did wind up forcing 13 turnovers on the night. They also had... Unfortunately, 13 of their own, but they were still able to impact some of the things that Memphis was looking to do offensively, and they just couldn't seem to get away from that half-zone, half-switch defense that they kept implementing and being exploited badly. So uh, anyway, just a bad night overall. I'll talk about Dwayne Dedman reportedly signing with the Miami Heat and, of course, getting to some of your listener questions in the next couple of segments. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. It's the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. Once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, insiders, anybody in real time 
about your favorite team or sport. It's a perfect place to start or join a conversation about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find hosts from the Locked On Network all across different sports. I'll be joining the app soon, so make sure to get started, and I'll see you there. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms and your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all. I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On Heat Room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, it's changing the way we talk about sports. Another one who's changed the way we do things is rockauto.com. Why go to a shop and ask the person behind the counter to order the parts for you? It doesn't make any sense when you have access to computers, the same ones they do on your phone or on your tablet or in any device. You can just go to rockauto.com. It's a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers, the same one as a regular storefront might do. And you just find all the parts on their easy-to-use website, get them delivered directly and safely to your door. Why go anywhere else and spend more money when their low prices are the same for everybody? So go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck, then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And enter Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On podcast today wherever you get podcasts. So listener questions, I appreciate all of you sending those in. Even some of those are still coming in, even as I'm recording this. So I appreciate this. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a recurring theme here. I, again, I've said this many times and I feel like I keep coming back to the same. I'm not sure if cliche canned answer. And, and that's not what you are expecting, but I, I can't help but feel this way. Eric Spolstra isn't completely to blame. Did he mess up? Yes. Everybody on this team makes mistakes on occasion. <laughs> yeah, they're human. And Eric Spolster is no different. And he's not going to be perfect. He's successful. He does things well, more often than not. Unfortunately, he may have been just a tad stubborn in his approach to tonight's game and didn't make the necessary in-game adjustments that I thought he was capable of. And, and I think that's a, a big part of the concern for all of you is even as I'm re recording this, I'm getting questions about why Eric Spolster is being stubborn. Why doesn't he care? This question comes in from Corey. He asked specifically, why didn't the Heat care tonight? Why did Spo continue to call the zone defense after approximately, and I think I'm getting this right here, 2 quadrillion, 728 trillion, 826 billion, 192 million, 828,151 corner threes were made. That might be a slight exaggeration, Corey. Why is this team terrible one night and great the next? Why do I watch sports? Wow, Corey, getting a lot off your chest there, pal. Uh, listen, Let's start off with the first question. Why didn't the Heat care tonight? Look, they always care. Does that mean they approach the game with the same kind of manic intensity we'd like to see from them all the time? Absolutely not. Like, I think they started off well. They had great effort. You liked what you were seeing from Bam. They didn't have necessarily a killer mentality. Uh, maybe when they were pushing Memphis at their key – and they were pushing Memphis at key moments throughout the game. It just didn't feel like it was ever quite enough. They did close the gap to like two, three points in the second half. It wasn't insurmountable. But Memphis just found a way to respond. So I don't know that it wasn't the Heat carrying so much as maybe the Grizzlies carrying more. That certainly seemed evident. They were a lot more emotional. Miami just 
didn't have a lot of instances there, perhaps because they didn't have much to look forward to. But even they didn't have any big plays, any kind of momentum-shifting plays there where you can really rally behind. Uh, Memphis even got a couple of weird calls their way that I think shifted the, the the emotions of the game a little bit. You know, again, hard to quantify. Players didn't speak about it after the press. I'm sorry, during the press conference. So it's. I don't think it's not that they didn't care. I just think again that Memphis may have had more reason to want to win. Uh, Eric Spoles, I'm sorry, Eric Reed, excuse me, uh, on the broadcast kept pointing out that Memphis is better on the road, that they are better against the Eastern Conference, and so maybe they were just looking to prove something against the Heat. And yeah, there is that also that personal motivation that Brooks uh, had last season, and probably still trickles through this one as well. So your next question, why does Spoke continue to call zone defense after, again, two quadrillion uh, corner threes were made? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you that. I feel like he's, this is just who he is. This is just who he's comfortable being. This is what he thinks works best, uh, that he didn't recognize it as a bad matchup early on and be willing to make changes. Part of it is dictated by the lack of personnel. It's not like you have somebody else other than Bam Adebayo who can close out uh, defenses and guard one through five the same way as effectively. So you do what you can to mask the weaknesses of some of your key players like Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, uh, maybe even a, a Victor Oladipo that's still kind of recovering back to full strength. He had some really opportunistic defensive play there where he's able to you know intercept passes and break open passing lanes but when it comes to one-on-one defense still not great and I think a lot of that has to do with his lack of overall explosiveness and the recurring injuries over the last couple years it may take some time before he ever gets back to even a part of who he was in that regard Uh, why is this team terrible one night and great the next I think I don't. Th- I think this might be a slight exaggeration. I don't think they were terrible tonight. In fact, again, offensively, they were very good. They had the opportunities there. There was a number of shots. Not only was you know did Jimmy Butler hang four points up on the board there so he could make bad passes, but there were a number of shots that rimmed out. I guess you could probably make that case for the Memphis side as well, although I just saw Miami have like one stretch there in the third quarter when Brooks was burning them on the other end, and they just had shots from Oladipo rim out. Duncan Robinson missed a supremely wide open three pointer in the corner. Uh, Jimmy Butler had a three pointer that rimmed out, looked good as soon as it left his hand, and it just those kind of shots would have been those kind of momentum swingers, and they just weren't able to connect those. So I don't think it's that they were terrible tonight, and I don't know that they're necessarily great one night either. But I, I think they're somewhere still in the middle and finding ways to to echo what Eric Spolster said, trend in the right direction. As to why do you watch sports? Well, hell, Corey, everybody knows that. It's a way to make money. Uh, no, not, not necessarily. It's also a great fun, you know, to, to watch this team when they're performing to the best of their ability. Uh, they're great to watch. Uh, anyway, I, it's just, it was a bad night. Not the kind of showing that you would have preferred from the Miami Heat, but I think they'll find a way to bounce back. Uh, MB writes in, at what point did you stop watching this pathetic effort, MB? I didn't stop watching it all. To the bottom, to the end of the game, to the last shot there. Uh, I got to watch it all. You never know what could happen. Uh, Miami, look, I didn't expect Miami to force any kind of late fourth quarter comeback or anything like that. At one point, they were down by almost 20 points, so it wasn't like they were going to be able to find a way to come back because they were just giving up easy shots. Even if they had found a way to score and go on a little run there, Memphis would have found a way to answer, just as they had all night. OG Killer writes in, why is Spo making the Heat switch everything and allowing mismatches, even though this is clearly shouldn't be the game plan for a team like this? Well, I answered that already, but 
I think it's just partly trying to do things the way he feels comfortable with this particular personnel to do the things that he thinks they can do best. Perhaps, again, another canned response there, but we're not going to – look, we asked – I mean, media members asked, Spo, well, what's up with the scheme? Is there something you need to change? And his response is, well, we're not going to change anything. You always get the sense from media members, Miami media members, perhaps more than other teams – that they don't hold Spo's feet to the fire as much as they possibly should. But even when you do ask him, he's not going to respond the way you want him to. You're never going to catch him and say, oh, man, I just I, I fucked up badly. I, I ruined tonight. I cost the team the win. He's never going to say something like that. He's not going to give you the, the, the kind of incendiary take that you might want to hear so that you can run it back to your audience and say, oh, yeah, this is what Spo said. He takes full ownership of it. Instead, he'll talk to the team. He'll coach them up. They got the Lakers on Thursday, and then they got a couple days off until Sunday for their next game. So I can imagine there'll be a lot of practice sessions in between now and then. Uh, Rob asks, why are we so out of it? Do you believe we need to add some size down low? Yeah, I guess. I mean, that that wasn't the case, though, right? Bam was – this is why we're going to add a center to this roster, uh, at least reportedly, or what so many people have wanted for so long, you know, guys like LaMarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin or Boogie Cousins or pick your center that's probably past his prime and insert here. And everybody's thinking, oh, this is the recipe for some success. But if Eric Spolster is going to do what he does, what would change with having either Aldridge or Cousins or anybody out there or even Deadman? who is going to be reportedly joining the team shortly. I just don't see what kind of difference maker he could make. Like Nemanja Bielica was out there for some time and not great defensively. He's not strong enough to contend with Valenciunas. Gives up some uh, obvious strength there and some positioning, although he was able to force a couple of turnovers and uh, I think a, a three-point second violation on Valenciunas. So he held his own. But either way, when you were out there with your your one of the best defensive players in the league in Bam Adebayo, and he's guarding John Morant, and he can't guard Jonas Valanciunas, who's gonna who's gonna pick up Valanciunas? Like who else is that starting lineup? You're not gonna put Deadman out there. You've got Ariza, who's doing an f- okay job, but again, so much of this, like that, I have to say, that rosting breakdown really showed a lot of it because it was just this it very slowly and precisely pointed out. Look. You've got a ball handler here, and then you've got somebody that should be trapping the ball handler probably much more effectively to either force a turnover or force a bad pass. Instead, they're kind of hedging a little bit. They're kind of in this no-man's land where they're sort of playing zone, sort of trying to trap, and kind of just waiting. There's like this soft coverage. Very, very bizarre. And that allows Valanciunas or somebody else to slip the screen and then be able to just camp out in the middle or at least have a pretty wide open look where he's guarded by somebody. And and a, a wing player or a guard like Goran Dragic has to tag Valanciunas just to keep him honest, make sure that he doesn't get an easy look at the rim. And of course, once you do that, then you're probably leaving a corner shooter wide open. And we saw it a number of times. So I don't know how much size could possibly change anything. You can't, these aren't the days of a Hassan Whiteside where you're kind of forcing everybody off the three-point line. Now Spo has done something else defensively where he wants everybody to switch we saw it a number of times, you know. Jimmy Butler trying to hold his own against a, a cutter or, or Valanciunas type player. Jawad asks, is this Heat team, Is he, I'm sorry, is the Heat the only team that gets randomly victimized by random no-names? No, Jawad, they are not. I, I think, I, look, you could probably do some kind of statistical analysis here, compile it. 
Uh, Christian Hernandez of the Miami Heat beat uh, put out a spreadsheet earlier this season kind of tracking some of the names that Heat Twitter and Heat fans thought fell into that random scrub Heat killer category. And, of course, there were some outliers like uh, guys like Terrence Ross or Garrison Matthews from the Washington Wizards. Those guys have re- repeatedly you know, just roasted Miami's defense alive. Uh, as far as Dylan Brooks, does he fit the scrub Heat killer category? He's a solid player. He might not be a superstar, but I also don't expect him to put up 23 points in any given period. Still, he was able to do so on Tuesday night. and Not uh, not a great look for Miami's defense. So I, I think you ask any fans from any fan bases, and they're all the same. I remember uh, something that really stood out to me from talking to Tony East of Locked on Pacers and talking to him about TJ McConnell and what a pain in the ass he is where he always wound up just, again, killing Miami. And... Uh, interestingly enough, uh, he's told me, look, everybody feels that way about TJ. You know, he's had big games against these teams and this teams, and everybody seems to think, oh, McConnell always catches fires against us. And clearly that's not the case because he's only putting up, like, I don't know, what, like eight points per game or something, if even. And yet somehow he always winds up having big shots against a, your team, the team that you're rooting for or covering in my case. And so I, I feel it's just every fan base probably feels that there is some player out there that's just going to light him up and have big nights. And you probably have to do some much more uh, comprehensive analysis that I'm willing to do to come up with which team gets victimized the most. And, of course, there's always a subjective part of this, too, which is where do these players fit in? Are they all scrub heat killers or scrub you know, scrub players, no names, as you put them, Jawad? I don't know that they would be happy with that kind of designation there. They are NBA players, and they're all capable of having big nights. And, fortunately, it was just Dylan Brooks having a monstrous night against the Heat. Anyway, I'll talk about some news that is on the horizon and answer one more of your listener questions about Dwayne Dedman reportedly signing with the Miami Heat. And I'll talk about that in the next segment. But before that, I want to remind you that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, but the NBA, the NHL are in full swing. Major League Baseball, too. BetOnline even covers awards and TV shows and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They've got you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with a Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, uh, four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. I got to tell you, I watched that NCAA men's championship game and uh, not impressed. Um, and then had a chance to talk about it over on Locked On NBA with my former co-host, Wes Goldberg. And we talked about... Jared Suggs, and uh, as you all know, not a huge fan of college basketball. I don't uh, particularly devote enough time to watching it or seeing it, especially with this weird season where so much is up in the air and changed, uh, not just from the NBA's perspective, but from everybody's perspective. And I didn't devote as much time as many of you might have regarding the college basketball scene, but I don't know. I, I just didn't find much in his game that made him seem like a top five pick, and yet he's widely projected to be that so uh, interesting, interesting. But that's why I don't cover the draft, and that's why you should all follow Locked on NBA Draft. 
This next question comes in from Darius Jordan, who writes in, why does Eric Spolstra never play bigs? Kind of hinted at that before. And do you think Deadman, Dwayne Deadman, will ever see the floor because Spo doesn't play bigs? He can shoot and fits spot schemes, but I just don't see him being utilized. Championship teams need different dynamics of play styles, and with Spo, it's small or nothing. Now, Darius is referring to the report that came out from Sham Sharania over at The Athletic that the Miami Heat were close to signing Dwayne Dedman. Nothing official from the team or from Dedman or his camp yet, so I haven't gotten any kind of confirmation about that. In the meantime, however, uh, there was also some photos that were seen on Twitter of a player that looked like Dwayne Dedman or perhaps Dedman's twin uh, walking around with a Heat assistant coach somewhere downtown, so... Perhaps they're putting him through a workout. Perhaps they already did, and they're just kind of helping him get settled. I don't know how he's available or not, but I wanted to talk about the signing a little bit because I wasn't quite bullish on the Deadman edition. I didn't think he was even available. I'd heard that he was uh, hurt or perhaps would even be sitting out for most of the season. And if you're in the Miami Heat, you're looking for somebody to make an immediate impact because you're not getting Precious Achua the kind of minutes he deserves or needs. Uh, Nemanja is not your best answer as a backup five, so you need somebody else to eat up some minutes there to foul with bigger players, to be able to contend and keep somebody off the boards, especially a guy like Valanciunas as he was roasting Miami. So uh, I'm not sure if Deadman's the right answer then. I, I guess... This is all very much wait and see because whether he's healthy or not certainly changes my perspective on whether or not the addition was a good one, is a good one, if it does wind up getting completed. At the same time, uh, you know, let's assume that he's healthy, right? Let's assume he's going to play and play soon because I don't think the Heat are willing or capable of just signing a player and kind of shelving him for a couple months in the hope that maybe he might contribute in the playoffs. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know why you would want to rather bring a player like that other than somebody like Greg Monroe or, I don't know, somebody else that might be able to contribute right away. So what does Deadman do? He's an energetic big, kind of a rangy, hoppy, athletic, long, lanky player. I am not a fan. I know a lot of you are. I know some people that I trust uh, are. I think his three-point shooting is an aberration, and I don't think he's a consistent shooter and somebody who's probably a little bit too willing, in my taste, to take those kinds of shots. And it doesn't matter from what I've seen of Deadman whether he's covered or not, or whether he's their wide-open shots or not. He's going to take them, and he's not going to hit them at the kind of rate that Miami needs him to. He's certainly not... Well, I don't think he's capable of having that kind of Jay Crowder-esque impact as soon as he joins this team. Uh, will he get better looks here than he did with either the Kings or the Hawks? Yeah, absolutely. This is a much better team than either of those two groups, so maybe he'll get more open looks, but I don't know that he's necessarily much more adept at knocking down the wide-open looks than the fully contested ones. So he's tall enough, he's a body, but it's hard to be a good rebounder if you're camped out 25 feet away from the rim, so that takes away... Partly his biggest impact here. Uh, if you're looking for him to be a stretch big, I don't know that he's necessarily your best option. But that's where we're at. Uh, he doesn't pass the ball much. He's not a pure on-ball defender either. He has some shot-blocking ability because of his range and hops and length. But I just wouldn't count on him being a guy who you're going to body up with, I don't know, Embiid. Um, you know, and the... Eastern Conference, there might not be a lot of 
top names in, in terms of the center position, but he's going to have to at least keep LaMarcus Aldridge honest. He's going to have to keep DeAndre Jordan there. Uh, Brooke Lopez, I don't think he can contend with Lopez. Certainly can't help form a wall against Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't even know if he can handle DeMontis Sabonis. So, you know, why is he even out there? Why is he the option? I'm looking forward to being pleasantly surprised. I'm just not sure right now at this point whether or not he's the right fit. So it's just it's a kind of a peculiar move. And, and look, I probably should be the first to point out that Miami does not make many mistakes in this regard. Even, let's see, their most recent quote-unquote failure, uh, a Greg Oden type player, he, you know, that wasn't their fault. That fit a specific need with a team that was very talented at the top because of the big three and had clearly established role players everywhere else, and they just brought in a guy like Odin, thinking that he might be the one guy who could challenge a Roy Hibbert or something to that effect. Didn't quite work out that way because, you know, Odin unfortunately lost most of, of his athleticism due to injuries and just was never quite the player he was at the collegiate level. But you trust that Miami can find a way that maybe they've got some idea of what Deadman can do much better than either of us, than any of us, you know, that either, even if I'm just positive, you know, not quite uh, sold on his impact and while others are positive about his impact, Miami probably sees something very specific about what they can get out of Deadman that makes sense for them. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes. As far as Darius's question is concerned, I mean, I don't know that he has a lot of bigs to play. So I don't know who he's going to play there. Was it Chris Silva? Was, was that the big that you would have wanted? Because I don't think a lot of people would agree with that. Do I think Deadman will see the floor? Again, presumably, if he's healthy, yes. Um, and as far as your contention that you know teams, championship teams need different dynamics, I agree and disagree because he was able to use what he does, what he's doing this season in last year's bubble, and it worked. And if not for a couple of injuries to key players against the Lakers, they probably would have won their fourth franchise uh, championship. So... I don't know what to tell you there. I, I, I think I don't think Deadman's necessarily the answer. I'd like to see otherwise, but I just I can't see Eric Spolstra changing the way he does things just because you add a journeyman like Dwayne Deadman. So we'll see if the team announces anything officially. For now, uh, it seems like a positive move. Hopefully, they'll be able to make the most of his addition, and we'll see what kind of playing time it gets. Something that, you know, again, I'm waiting to see whether or not it's an official move right now. It's only been reported by Charania of The Athletic. I assume that it's going to take place. And if it does, uh, then I'll probably have a much more thorough analysis of where he fits in the rotation, what kind of minutes he'll get, again, assuming that he's healthy, because I think that's where we have to be at at this point, because I just... If, how about this? If the Heat are signing some guy who's hurt and not going to play, I have no idea what the hell they're thinking, and this is not the franchise that typically makes ridiculously hard-to-interpret moves, so I'm leaning towards them understanding something about Deadman and his availability that the rest of us do not. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show. And thanks to all of you. I'm David Ramil signing off. Oh.